Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in bodywork, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It was a pleasure to be in conversation with Jim Asher today. Jim is an internationally recognized Rolf Institute instructor and practitioner. He offers advanced Rolfing, Rolf movement integration, and cranial sacral therapy. Jim has been a certified Rolfing instructor since 1974. He trained with and assisted Dr. Ida Rolf. He also studied spinal mechanics with many DOs, including Philip Greenman, the founder of the Colorado Cranial Institute, and he's a member of the International Association of Structural Integrators. He continues to enjoy practicing in the city of Boulder, Colorado. Nikki and I sat down to talk with Jim and learn some history of both Dr. Idaroff and the work she laid out. There are lots of good and largely unheard stories included here. One note is the sound quality did not come out as great as it was us being in person, and I'm still learning how to be in the field. So while we do apologize for this, the quality of content that Jim shares is beyond priceless. Uh, You will notice at some points people cheering in the background. This is because there was a street performer outside, not that they are cheering for us. In doing the editing, I decided to keep much of the talk as it was. While some stories repeat and some are circuitous, they are real and as stated from Jim himself, and I felt it important to keep it this way. This is also a longer-than-usual talk, and it may best be enjoyed in sectional doses. So with that, let's begin our talk. I'm running around, and I was the assistant, and so I had to make sure the tables were up and this and that. Typical rocking class, some people don't do anything. You know, they won't even put on a pillowcase, you know. Other people are helpful. And it was an advanced class, and half of them thought, well, I, I'm here to be advanced. You know, they weren't there to be the help. The help. Yeah. It's kind of crazy. So, they wound up that we didn't get good audio on that class. I had the equipment, and most of it didn't turn out. But people kept bumping it and stuff, you know. Well, hopefully today's audio uh, comes out a bit better than that. We'll see. Um, it's our first actual in-person one. We normally do, because we're usually in different parts of the world. Oh, okay. um, but we figured uh, if we're both here. This is the first time we've actually met in person. Yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, we've known each other for over a year now. Well, about a year. Mm-hmm. First time we met in person was outside your door. Okay. Um, so partly we met because of you. We'll, we'll, we'll let you think that way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as I told you yesterday, you've been walking longer than I've been alive. Um <laughs> His experience in those stories, um, and so we're both, I think, very, really honored to be here with you. All right. Um, so, that's how I felt with Ida. Yeah. So, uh, I basically uh, thought I'd be a psychologist, mm. and I was going to the University of South Florida. Um, I'm a little older, I'd already been in the service, and so um, I was taking, I wound up. Thought I'd take some business classes, you know, accounting and so forth, just so I have a background. And and then uh, I took a marketing class with a man named Bill Williams. And he did a lot of psychology in the class. And so I went over the psychology department, and they didn't like what Bill was doing. They were really in the old, old Pavlov 
There's a guy named Cavalog for the pigeons pecking and getting rewards and rats running mazes. And that's all they were thinking about in the psych department. This was late 60, 67, 68, 69. So, uh, Bill taught marketing, but he did a lot of psychology. He said, to understand marketing, you got to really understand behavior. And he would run behavioral experiments in the class. Uh, and he would say, sometimes we're going to run a thing today. And he said, uh, we're going to take a break here, and I'm going to do a hypnotic trance. And if you don't want to be in a trance, you don't have to be in a trance. And if you want to be one, you can be one. If you want to leave the room, that's okay, too. And he'd do a very mild trance thing, like he wouldn't affect half the people. And then he'd say, the really strong people, aggressive, are going to stand next to the door. And the people who are really, are really lazy, fair, are going to be leaning over here. And when people are wishy washy, you'll be in there. And then people pick you up and you'd go where you think you ought to be, you know. And then he would sometimes sneak his wife and he would introduce her by her maiden name so she could observe us. You know, she had mastered us. He ran these little experiments. Remember one day this really big guy got up and he was mad in the middle of the class. He started walking towards the dorm. Bill said, Where are you going? He said, I'm out of here. I'm tired of this garbage. And uh, Bill said, You're not leaving. And Bill was a little skinny guy. And, uh, not super old, but quite. <laughs> he said, You're not leaving. And the guy said, What makes you think I'm not? He said, Because you're a really big strong guy, and if you believe everybody in here will think you're afraid of me, or afraid of what I'm going to say. So he went right at the guy's, like, the guy went, I'm not a coward, you know, that's what he said to him. <laughs> he knew if he left, he looked like he was afraid of what Bill had to say, not, he didn't want to hear it, but he was afraid of it. And I went, damn, that was an interesting manipulation there, you know. Mm -hmm. So, some people would ask Dr. Williams, if they could sit in this class, because he would sometimes do these interesting experiments, you know. Anyhow, I got the, he liked me, um, you know, I would look up references, and I would go the extra mile for my papers, you know, my footnotes, I, you know, I would do things that he, were outside the box, and he liked that. And I liked it. And so, he invited me, there's a psychology, the Southern, Southeastern Association of Psychotherapy or certain psychology meeting in here at this university. Why don't you come? I think you'd find it interesting. So he said, I'll, I'll put you down as a graduate student. I really wasn't a graduate student, but I was taking some graduate courses. Anyhow, I said, okay. And I had a beard, and I was a little older because, as I said, I'd already been in the service. I had a little briefcase I walked around with. And, uh, so I went there, and there was really interesting talkers. And one guy had been to Esalen Institute, and he's talking about California, and he had been to the mountains. He's, he, and he had this other thing, he had done studies at uh, psychotherapy. Every state's have these sort of state mental institutions where you send people who are sort of crazy or unrealistic, unrealistic or something. And he thought that they really weren't, he said, realistically they're under-trained. Now, if you see the psychiatrist maybe once every two weeks or once a month, you see a psychologist every once a month, week, 
You see, we should be training the orderlies and the nurses in psychotherapy so that they see some odd behavior, they can report it immediately. They only have to wait three weeks to, to start helping them. And I went, that's interesting. And then, you know, I, I thought, he, and he said, by the way, he says, uh, say, he, raced, he was talking fast. He said, talk fast because I want to talk about some weird, wild thing that happened in California. He says, in the mountains of California, at a place called Esalen, and this little, little lady with white hair threw me around on a table on bed for 10 hours. And uh, he said, when I got up, I had to get new shoes, and I had to get a new set of my glasses, my eyes changed. Everybody started laughing. This little old lady thrown around the table, and got to get new glasses and new shoes. And he said, her name's Ida Rolf. It's going to be a big name in psychotherapy someday. And he says she believes in reorganizing the body. People have pain in their body and issues in their body. And so she gives you these hours. Each hour is different. And I'm like, God, I, I need that, you know, because I've been in the Marine Corps and whatever, be, you know, had hard jobs. And I was like, I, I just felt like my body needed it. And then I could feel I had some emotional tension in my body. You know? Can so, I ask, have you had any type of body work before? Like, were you used to getting a massage or being touched in any way? Yeah, I had a massage or two. Okay. And uh, I, when I was in the Marine Corps, I thought about being a corpsman. Because that, half of them I thought were half-assed. They didn't care. You know, when it was a really bad burn, the guy went at six in the morning. I said, I'm badly burned. I was at the, in the chow hall and I was picking up a steam thing, you know. And then I thought I'd be, I'd be a corpsman. And I, you know, there'd be a better corpsman than this guy. But to be a corpsman, you had to be in the Navy. And I didn't want to go in the Navy because if you didn't make it, then you're stuck in the Navy for six years. And, you know, I was happy to be in the Marine Corps, but I was also happy to get out. But I didn't want to risk six years in the Navy. Anyhow. So I'm looking around and I'm, I hear this guy, I'm like, well, that sort of sounds like what I was thinking about, you know, helping people. And so, uh, went and talked to Bill about it. We, he thought it was interesting and his wife was there. And then I didn't, then I graduated. I went to New York City and thought, that was another thing, you know, if you can make it in New York City, you can make it anywhere. So I went to New York City, got a job in sales. Wasn't making a lot, but I was, you know, trying to do my New York thing and, uh, my mom died, so I, I had to go down, went back to Tampa to help my dad out, and I, I went back to visit Bill. He and his wife had gone to California, so I go to his office, and we're talking about it, and the phone rang, and I had to leave. I go back to his office, the phone rings again, I leave, back in the old long-distance days, you know, and went back to you, know, every time you've been here, the phone rings. He said, he says, can you imagine, who would you guess was on the phone? Um, he said, every time you're in here, we're talking about Rolfing. The, the phone rings, it's like Dr. Rolf returning my phone call. But he had gone to California with his wife. He was going to study, uh, I forget who, a couple of different people who did interesting psychotherapy skills. And uh, then they said, but they saw a flyer on a rolfing demo with Rolf, so they decided to go to that, and they both really got interested. Bill goes over and talks to Ida and says, 
I am really interested in this stuff. Uh, I came out here to study psychotherapy, but this is much more interesting. And he said, well, I'd love you to meet my wife, uh, Gigi, and Gigi has her master's degree, and here's my kids. She says, your kids? And he says, well, yeah, I'm on my sabbatical. I'm out here to study. And she said, most guys leave their family home for a year. That's really, I forget, she imagined a good, you know, good, great, you're a great thing, you know, or something. And Bill went, well, why wouldn't you want to bring wine <laughs> in California? So anyhow, Ida walked away, and uh, Danny Malbrucker, who was a physicist, he taught physics at Stanford. He was a golfer. And the other interesting thing about Ida, all these really brilliant people around her, you wouldn't, you know, your average group. So Al says, uh, do you realize you're in a class? And Bill said, what? He says, she basically said, and she had said something at the class starts Monday, and he thought she was just referring to something. Anyhow, so Bill said, the class says, yeah, be here at nine, you know, don't we start Monday, da da da. So Bill showed up, and he got his wife off, and, uh, and, I, and his wife, Gigi, just fell in love with Ida, and she was real, I, Gigi's was one of those wonderfully sweet Southern women that has a master's degree, and, Started taking care of Ida, bring her coffee and stuff, and uh, then they came back, and so uh, I'm talking to him, and he said, I'm bringing Dr. Rolf down here. So I started getting Rolf by Bill Williams, and then he brought Ida and had her through three talks in different towns. Back in Florida. In Florida, uh-huh. And so she was happy to come. He said, he realized she liked to swim, so he set her up with two of her on the coast so she could go for a swim later, you know, and uh, so I got to hear at the same time, actually, I, the first time I heard her, John Lodge, who became a teacher, was there, John was a roll call guy, he did the artwork in her book, when he'd been an art professor earlier, and people were going up to and say, oh, you know, you're supposed to have big hands, or you're supposed to weigh 150 or something, and, uh, I was kind of thin at the time, you know, because I never used a studio as much, you know. And that was, was kind of the beginning of the yoga craze, yoga running thing. So I went over to talk to her. She walked over to John, and he's talking. He's a real tall guy. And she grabs him by the arm, and she lifts his arm up. She says, everybody listen. Everybody look at me. This is the kind of hand I'm looking for. And he's like, he's looking down this little old lady shaking his hand, you know. So he goes back to Bill and he says, Bill, do you think she was serious? And Bill says, I've never seen her say that before in her life, you know. So John decided he was going to be a rolfer. I was already wanting to be a rolfer. And so uh, then she did another thing in Miami and I went down there. So she was from New York and she had her PhD. So I'm, I'm in New York. So I'm thinking I need to dress up. It's in Miami, but I wear a three-piece suit. It's a light wool <laughs> and a tie. We represent. And I thought I should look, have a few mesomorph. This is an ectomorph, mesomorph in my shoulder. You know, I'm a little skinny. I take my jacket off. I go to another room and I do handstands. I'm doing push-ups. You know, uh, you get your head, you know, your foot down. You're doing that to pump up my arms. <laughs> and I had already started the interview with the circle, and she's sitting there, and she, she really liked me along your brother, so she had saved me a seat right next to Ida. 
And I didn't realize I was letting AI walk out. I sit down, you know, trying to be a mesomorph, you know. And uh, Ada leans over and whispers to Bill, she says, this guy may have heart problems. Look how red his face is. <laughs> because of what I've been doing. And I was like, oh, red face, you know. <laughs> and so I'm sitting there and I would ask, answer questions. And I had the reading list. I had this really long reading list. And I had checked. I'd read some books three times. I'd read some books one time. Some books I couldn't get. And some of them are pure uh, biochemistry. I said, Dr. Rothbeck. So she asked people that read this book or that book, and I kept saying, yeah, I read it. She said, anybody have the list? And that's the only person that brought the reading list. So I handed it up here. She said, what are all these checks? And what's the number of times I read it? And so what does this mean? I'm like, that means I want to go back and review it. You know, she was like, she saw me. As, I, didn't, I wasn't planning her seeing my list, so she was like, this is guy's serious. No one else had even, half of the guys hadn't even read books. So... All these guys, she's like, okay, how many people, you know, you got to be a mentor, how many people here think they'd be a good or all? So all the guys, you know, men especially, they all decide to pump up, you know, we like the, so all the guys like, Take pull their chest up, or, you know, trying to look tough, you know, and she's looking around the room, you know, and she said, uh, what about you? And she says, you're kind of on the skinny side. I think I weighed about 145 at the time. And so I said, well, I uh, I decided to play a trick on her. Because I had been in New York trying to be a comedian. I, it just came naturally to me. So I went, uh, I, uh, I'm a... Uh, you obviously have a lot of fear going on. She said, I want you to look around the room and say who you're on the fight and who you're really afraid of. And I said, uh, there's... One person I'm, I'm, I'm terrified of, and she says, Who is it, young man? Who is it? Spit it out. And I went, uh, uh, Gigi Williams. And Gigi was the smallest person there, the sweetest person there, who was bring her tea. And she's, Ah! You made me laugh. She says, I need you. I need you to keep me laughing. Can you keep me laughing? I said, Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and I really thought I could keep her laughing, but. Yeah, I was willing to try, and so that's how I got in the class. I made, I made a joke. Nobody <laughs> else, all the other guys sitting there like that, like you know, and some of them have PhDs and masters, and now some of them got in the class, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, uh, there was a guy in the group. His name was Hal. Can't think of last name. His Hal Paris. No, no, you wouldn't know him. He's a PhD in Miami. Okay. And he was uh, dean of one of the schools at the University of Miami. So Bill Williams had gone down there, and he was robbing, he was robbing all the big wigs in Florida in a way. That's big psychotherapists, psychiatrists, you know, were interested in the body-mind thing. This, in there, this is when it was really starting to go. The Humanistic Psychology Association had just started. And we had a Humanistic Psychology Association meeting in Florida, and I can't remember the names, but the big guns from that early days came and talked, you know. People were doing encounter groups and uh, meditation. So, um, 
which is funny because now that's so that's like just common. But at that yeah. time of the day, it was not. yeah, there really wasn't a humanistic psychology association. You couldn't go anywhere to study, but you could be in the early groups, and I'd already been in one encounter group, and so uh, which Bill helped me get in, and so then I got in another encounter group and a Gestalt group. And, Help off to be a good rolfer, but also I felt like yeah, I can use that, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Bill, meanwhile, was talking about Ida. She had done three demos down there, and he had lined up Hal, this, I can't remember his last name, he had a PhD, and he was in charge of the University of Miami. You know, he was dean of one of the programs. His wife was having to fly up to see Ida in New Jersey because she'd been in a really bad car accident and no one could help her but Dr. Rolf. And Bill had said, you should see Ida, not me. So Bill was gracious enough to refer her up, you know, and so she's up there getting Rolf. It's a long trip, you know, flying back and forth. So Hal is really wanting Ida to come to Florida. And Ida was doing a few sessions, but not a series. So Hal... Ran around to all the deans, the University of Miami, and like one guy was, he was dean of the biochemistry department in the medical school, named Gene. He said, Gene, your wife would be really good at this. We could get her in this class. And now we could tell someone else, you know, you would be really good at this, you know. So Hal filled this class, and he got the University of Miami to sponsor Ida. And there was another school on the West Coast. Fort Lauderdale, and they want to do alpha, beta, theta scans on people. But they weren't as enthusiastic because they didn't authorize a certain things, you know. And Hal was determined to get Ida down there. So we wound up having a class in Pigeon Key. It's actually an island on the Keys. And it's rented out by the University of Miami. It turned out it was empty for seven weeks. They weren't using. They do marine biology research there. They put in nets and study fish mating and stuff. So I loved it. So I got the you know I somehow got my interview. I went for another interview, but that was my main one. You know, I made a good impression. And Bill said, "You're in the class." I went, "Oh, great!" So I started studying like crazy. I had gotten some books. Anatomy books. I was really, I bought two or three anatomy books. I was taking, I dropped out of graduate school, started taking massage courses in Miami. And um, so when I showed up, I was one of the few people that actually been studying massage. It was almost, I, it was a thousand hour course. So I went sometimes in the day in, like, that's all I had to do, I had a little money. You know, I was living, I lived in a boring house to save money. And I showed up, uh, this class was on Pigeon Key. It was really sweet. It was swimming. Sounds lovely. And I got Ralph up early mornings. She'd take a swim around six in the morning. And we, we'd take turns making sure she got out, you know. And, um, then she'd clean up and we'd start right at nine in the morning. And then she'd give us a break. And sometimes the break was long and you'd get a little swimming in. And then, and then, uh, Sometimes we go to seven or eight o'clock at night because Hal was saying, Would you like more models? So we had a model of a guy, he had no control of his arms, he had lost control of his arms, so we had to swing him. And uh, we had 
I can't remember. That's just, uh, for a while we had no black people as models, so I was like, oh, wow, what's going on? So all of a sudden they, they went out and put out a, you know, university. You know, all of a sudden they got four people down there, young men and women of color, to be models. And there was a little boy with cerebral palsy. You look in her book, there was a boy curly here. He was a model. He had cerebral palsy. And there was another boy. He was all twisted. And we're, we're like, how can this little guy look like this? Well, his dad was a maintenance man on the island. And we brought his dad in one day. So his dad had been in a bad car accident. So this was his dad. So his son was actually mimicking his dad. He really had, you know... So I just said, we've done a role for dad if we can get the kid to get the kid to want to own a new body. So we worked him in. So we had lots of extra models. We would sometimes go to seven, eight at night with a little meal break. And it was tag team after a while. People say, man, I'm exhausted. You put her into this person's hamstring for me or something. Uh, so it was fun. You know, everybody was, we did have two groups. We had the practitioners and the auditors. I was an auditor, but I helped practitioners because some of them. Can we rewind a little bit or yeah. just answer this question in terms of um, timeline? So this whole um, training that you're experiencing in Florida. It was 1971. And then so when, was that then before Eslin and when she had her whole group of Eslin? Right. So I, I had already done a class in California. And that's mm-hmm. what the one Bill was in. Mm-hmm. And she had done another class, but they were smaller classes. So I met a couple of people that did in one class. It was just four people. Uh, and I was at Esalen, and I didn't... We went, two of them didn't stay with it. One guy, was a, he really wanted... He was a gestalt therapist and really good. And... Uh, he said, I like it, but I didn't really want to stay with Gestalt. He'd had some training with Fritz Perls. And he had big hands, and he had the structure to be a great rolfer. But, I mean, he really turned into being an amazing therapist, so he made the right call there, you know. He turned, you know, trained right with Fritz, and he really had that Gestalt thing going. And that was the early days of that, when he could get some really good training with bright people. This is a fun story, because I don't think... Or at least I know in my 20 plus years of training, I haven't really heard much of Ida training in any other places extensively other than Eslin. Right. So she, there's another place there that's called a Cilium. I'm not sure I'm saying it right. It was like Eslin, uh, but it wasn't on the cliffs. You know, you've been to Eslin? Yeah, you know, but I'm familiar with that. Yeah, and Big Sur, but there's cliffs mm-hmm. there and hot tubs, and it's yeah. incredibly beautiful. And so, Ida was there, and they she was working there a little bit. And so she worked in the two, three founders, and one guy was just so in love with her. I mean, he called her grandma. I mean, she would, she let a few people call her grandma. She didn't like it. He did, she didn't know you. And she would work. Somebody's one guy had been hit by a boulder, or you know, and he was just. All twisted, you know, when she got all to herself. Um, I, and then she, like I said, Bill, she was doing smaller classes, and Bill got into one. And then, uh, I, still, I wasn't in one of those, but I was early on, 71. And, mm-hmm. um, so this was a, 
she liked the Florida class because there were three psychiatrists in it. There were three doctors. How uh, I can't their names right now. Carl, he, Mama said he's he's, a, he's retired, but he was often and did psycho, psychiatry in Washington State. Um, another guy, he, he went back to psychiatry for a while because he, he moved from Florida to California. In California, he could do anything, tickle therapy and stuff. So he decided, hey, psychotherapy is actually easier than Rolfing. So he went back to being a psychiatrist in California. He could, with that license, you could do well. Mm-hmm. But there was another guy in the class, he was a psychologist, and he, so he started bringing, his name was Tom West, and he stayed with it, and he convinced a lot of students in St. Petersburg to go study involved, you know, at least get involved. But in that class, there was also a woman, she was an anesthesiologist, her husband was a near nose throat surgeon. And she decided to give up anesthesia, which is pays well, to be a rolfer. She was an amazing good rolfer. She was small, uh, but I used to get session from her because I was always thinking I was big and strong. And, and I get the session from her, and she was half my size, and she would do this amazing work on me. So it was a good feedback for me to realize, okay, I don't have to be doing this, you know. So would you say her touch was lighter, or she was just yeah, lighter. And she would just get into the fascia and move the fascia. In the early days, I sometimes was, in my head, I'm like, this is, wasn't right, but in my head, I was going to get the deep layers for people quicker. Mm-hmm. Therefore, I was helping them more. Well, really, it wasn't helping because it's about organizing the layers. Mm-hmm. But in my head, the deep works where the stuff was. Because that was true in my body. I had a lot of emotions in my deep adductors and brought out a lot of anger and sadness. And, uh, you know, my se- second, seventh hour when he went in my head, a lot of cave things came out. In the third session in my head, more stuff came out. So I was projecting my experience on other people. Mm-hmm. It was a deep work. Mm-hmm. And then Jan would go, why are you working that hard? You can't do this to me. She said, I'm going to have you work on my boyfriend. And she was bringing some guy and he work on him. Then she'd work on me. I'm like, damn, she's getting a lot done. She's, you know, not working, you know, know, going deep. So that was Jan Jan Davis. Her name was Davis. Uh, As I say, she's with us. She really helped me. And then we would bring Ida down, and I, Jan, Ida loved Jan and her husband. And Jan had a beautiful little house. It wasn't big, but it was on an inland waterway. And she'd give Ida her own room, and, uh, and Ida could go, Ida loved to swim. Ida grew up. We started talking about, when I was in New York, she would call me. I was working in New York City. And she'd call me up and ask me what I've been doing. I said, oh, I was sailing this weekend. She'd say, well, where are you sailing? She said, well, I used to sail there. What kind of boat? We talked sailboats. And uh, so I got to be close to her because I, we had similar you know, she liked, I did things that she liked. And she liked Ron Thompson a lot, and she liked the outdoors. So Ron had a diving school and uh, was an ex-phenomenal swimmer. So I did start coming out of Florida. He would take her out in a boat. Uh, he would take her in the swamps and show her, I mean, catch fish and show her gators and stuff. 
And so you're kind of bouncing between Florida and New York. Yeah, so after I was rolling for about a year and a half, uh, Ida asked me to move to Chicago. I drove to Chicago two or three times. Didn't like it. It was just weird to me. I said, well, I've lived in New York City before. I said, how about that? She said, that sounds... So then I moved back to New York. Right after college, I'd gone to New York to kind of try it out. And then, like I said, my mom died, so I went back to Florida, and that's when I got in Orlando because she just started coming down. First time I was in New York, I tried to get a hold of her, but it just wasn't making a connection. With the with the training in Florida, where you were an auditor, right? Um, was there another? Was that was there only one time when there was a Florida, Florida program, or did that happen a few times on the Pigeon Key? No, we didn't have one more in Pigeon Key, but the next class we had was on a lake. It was a Presbyterian where you, um, you know, in those days churches would have a place to take you know, have summer programs and stuff. So it was kind of a um, there was a psychiatrist, psychologist in Tom West. He, he hooked it up. It was a beautiful lake. Mm-hmm. We had cabins and stuff, and Ida had her own little place. And so Ida had a class there, and they had canoes. Mm-hmm. So is that where you did the practitioner portion? Good question. Yeah, that. So I know when I talked to you before, you were going to California, to Esalen as well. Is that before you were living in New York, or is that... Um... No, I lived in New York, but as soon as I graduated, I'd already heard about Rolfing, but I couldn't find Ida, so I they were just thinking, if you could make it in New York, you yeah. make. so I'd gone to Florida, New York, and I kind of forgot about Ida a little bit, because I was trying to get a job in marketing, and so my degree was in marketing, but I'd taken psychology courses. Bill taught marketing to did all these psychology experiments. Hmm. I mean, so, I mean, because you said it, you went back to New York. You said um, Ida had asked you to go to, to New York to so, make a yeah. role. So I was up there, and then I was in this class, and then I went back to Florida. I'm rolling. She's we're not developing. Everybody was still on the West Coast, and a few people in Florida. So she. She came back, she was doing another floor class in Florida, and I was kind of the errand boy. I'd bring her stuff down. And I brought a lot of models down. And told them, I said, you got a chance to be Rolf right in front of Dr. Rolf, you know? Mm-hmm. So people were like, you really? I go, yeah, it's unbelievable. So I got a lot of models for the class, and then she'd call me up and say anything. Like, once she wanted some rare Jewish wine, uh, some, you know, it's like, I had to go to three different places to find it, you know. It was like a little, some kind of a course. <laughs> but, um, you know, Bill was helping out, but he was also, you know, he had a practice and he had already helped in two classes, you know. And so, you know, I was running interference for her doing this and that. And so she said, we could really use someone in New York. So I had already been to New York once. I went to New York once trying to be a comedian, see. So uh, I'm like, okay, I'll go back to New York. And I had friends there. So I went up there and I talked to a rolfer. I helped a guy. I helped another guy become a rolfer. And he was in New York. His name was Michael Blackburn, I think. And so 
I said, yeah, I'm all, Dr. Rolf would like me to move to New York. He said, I'd love you to come up here. So I went up there. He sent me up with 20 clients. I was like busy the first week. Wow. Uh, people were just dying to get Rolf. I mean, it was, I was turning away people. So uh, I went up there. He helped me get find an office and a place to sleep and uh, started rocking people. You know, people want the experience of it. They wanted. Uh, Was this in Manhattan in the Manhattan, city? Yeah, I worked on uh, West Seventy Fourth, is where I went up and had a really nice office for five years. But before that, I was in West Forty Six or something. Mm-hmm. I was always in the West Side for the most part. But I, you know, I had clients come over from the east side, mm-hmm. which is cheaper than the west side to leave it my apartment. Yeah. Oh, that's changed. <laughs> yeah. But I was on the west 74th. I wound up getting a really nice place. I can still be there now. I, you know, we got the, and this was, this was, this was the early 70s? 70s, yes. Yeah. So I was up there. I went back to Florida. And then I was up there 74, 75, and I said, and then my mom, or 73, said, my mom died, went back to Florida, I'm in New York, I mean, in Miami, Florida again, and helping out a little bit, and then, uh, I just did better in New York. Mm-hmm. I, I was in a better atmosphere, and my old friends, you know, in Florida were all the drinking beer and getting loaded and, you know, smoking dope, and I, mean, I don't want to smoke dope and get loaded. Mm-hmm. And I was in a meditation, and I went down, you know, I was doing, um, I forget, I was on study meditation. And, you know, I was trying to meditate twice a day for 20 minutes, and mm-hmm. you can't smoke dope or, you know, a glass of wine, and I keep that rub. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be conscious for my clients, you know, because I already started, even before that, I was going to massage school, and I, wanted, I knew I had to be clean. Were you, when you were living in New York, were you going back to Esalen as well to to learn with Ida? Or right. Was, so know? I went to New York, uh, but I was in touch with her the whole time after I got to New York. So she would call me up and say, um, Laura Pearls called. She wants to send you people. I told her that you didn't do psychotherapy. Because Laura Pearls, was she had a training group for psychiatrists. Mm-hmm. And she, I'm not going to name, she had sent a, two other offers and they would try to do their form of the psychotherapy on people. And these psychiatrists crazy. They don't want some offer doing their brandish of gestalt on them. So I said, Alan, she said, I hear you don't do psychotherapy. I said, no ma'am, I do straight raw thing. She said, I'm going to send you some people, but I'm holding you to her word. And I said, you got my word on that. And these psych- I all of a sudden had six psychiatrists getting raw. I didn't try to work on their issues. That wasn't my job. And, and they appreciate that because they Absolutely. were someone else to work with that. And so then I had another psychotherapist and he liked the fact that same thing. I wouldn't. The other two offers in town weren't bad people, but they were trying to add in their brand of therapy. Um, I even told one guy, so we're friends, I said, you know, some people like it without, and he just looked at me and said, well, Jim, you're not trying to tell me what to do. I said, no, you're, you're, your practice is your practice. I wasn't trying to tell him. It kind of was, but <laughs> he was probably good at adding two things in. Mm-hmm. So I did call me up and say, water pearls, like, so we talked, and she would say, what'd you do? I said, I was up sailing, so-and-so. She said, what kind of boat were you sailing? Oh, I used to sail those, you know, and 
she said, where were you again? And I tell her, oh, I like that place. The water's even or something. And I, you know, when I first met her, I didn't know we both liked sailing. We both liked swimming. But I didn't know that. So we would actually have personal talks. Not like, you know, uh, I have headaches at night because of whatever, you know, just human things. Mm-hmm. And then she really liked Ron in my class. He was a, he had his diving school. When we, that first problem, that first class in the Keys, he had promised her lobster every night. Well, the class was in October, breeding season. It's illegal to take the lobsters out because of the, the, the creating eggs. Mm. So every day he pauses. Doctor, Ruff, I can't get those lobsters. It's right now is breeding season. I can get fine for you. Can throw get thrown in jail really mm. in the consulate. She said, "It's okay. It's okay." You know, she thought the whole thing was funny. Anyhow, she she just wanted to get raw for a bit. So. She really liked Ron. Ron and I were doing work. You we those days you took a Polaroid before and after. And half the people there didn't want to do a damn thing. I saw it at night I'd go in there and I'd back in the rug. And Ron had always photographs before and after each session. And I didn't want everybody to have we had she had extra models, she had three extra models, so she was in five models and uh she, you know, she won because this is all being processed by the university and there were psychiatrists in the class. She was adding extra models. Um, we we were all happy about that, but some of them would go late. So, um, you know, I just realized I would do whatever needed to be done. But I, a hurricane came and everybody had left but me and I didn't leave. And so, I would go there, man. It's really pouring down. I mean, pouring down. The winds are coming, and I'm walking over there. She says, who is it? I said, it's Jim Hatcher. She goes, come in out of the rain. What are you doing? I said, oh, I'll just make sure you're okay, you know. It's, it's nice, because when I, when I talk with you about, I, uh, you make her sound really nice and sweet, and a lot of the, the stories are of this, you know, the, the wicked witch with the white hair, and that she was really gruff and strong and, and mean. I was never gruff to me. Mm. But I, yes, there was actually two kinds of students. Mm. There was those who were really happy to be with Dr. Rolf and loved her, and others were sort of the macho guys. They wanted her to say, wow, you're so strong, you know, you're look at what you're doing. They wanted, uh, I don't know what they wanted, frankly. Mm. They thought they should be in Superman comic books or something. I'm surprised they haven't created their own comic book series. Because <laughs> <laughs> it was ridiculous. They would start arguing about I remember once California once she said, Can you come out and help me for a week? And there was another Rolfer there, became a teacher, and he was arguing about every little thing. And I said, What and he got mad at me because I was nice to her. He wouldn't he barely talk he was always like I was always thinking, man, we're gonna have to have a showdown someday, you know. He had this all kick your ass thing, and you know, well, I don't really think so, but let's not let's not go there, you know. It sounds like he could have used some rope. I, you know, I, I wasn't afraid of him, but I thought this this I knew it wasn't what I didn't want. The two of he and I happened out in the parking lot, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, and then other people who loved her, but they didn't really want to be a teacher, you know. And then she tried to, you know. 
I had picked some women out early. She had Dorothy Nolte helping teach. She had Stacy Mills. They were an early group. She had another woman named Adesia in LA. And she would send you, she'd say, well, go see Adesia. She can help you with this or that. So I went to see Adesia. And Adesia really helped me with mouth work and nose work. You know, my mouth work and nose work was horrible compared to what I learned from Adesia. I mean, she, one afternoon, just totally changed my work. Mm. Can you speak a little bit to that, of, like, what you could kind of highlight some lessons? It wasn't because I didn't teach her, right, but she only had so much time in the class. She probably had all these people around her, and models, too, were trying to, oh, can you look at my husband? He needs this or that. Not that that's bad, or my children, my kids couldn't have bad legs. Uh... Which was good for me because I would help Ida with stuff. Uh, see, she had me working early. As an author, I started working. Because um, some guys, I don't know what was wrong, but they weren't helping out. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, with Adesia, I said, my nose work, I've been told my nerve work is rough on my mouth work. So she said, yeah, you're probably going in there. She's, uh, I don't know if I did her nose work, but she did it. And she says, now here's her problem. She says, you're thinking about going in and creating space. She says, you have your fingers like a worm. It's just going to worm its way in. It's not a drill. It's a worm. And it's going to go in there. And she has a different word. It's like a fish. It's going in there and it's going to find its way. And then she said, you're not making all the work in the way in. You're not moving bones around. You're going in there slowly. You're finding a path. She says, on the way out, you're going to make some more changes. So on the way out, just find the fat, feel the fascia, and pull slightly. So I went in there with a totally, like a softness that I had not thought of before. I wasn't trying to be mean before, but it wasn't that softness. And uh, It sounds was, like maybe the, the, the point of differentiation of the work is that the work is going to happen more as you're exiting the nose versus going into the nose. Well, if you're going to go in, but you're not making, that's not your object to make mm-hmm. the change. Mm-hmm. And she says, you go in, you'll find things. And it'll be tight here and tight there. And she says, on the way out, you're going to feel the fashion and give it a little, just a very, very gentle tug. Mm-hmm. And the way out, I could actually feel like I was pulling on the fascia without, or I could feel the fashion on the inside without hooking into it. I wasn't mm-hmm. You know, you're almost, I was much more, 10 times more chill than I've ever been. And so I was like, wow. And she did it to me uh, on the way out. I could feel her changing things as she was coming out. Mm-hmm. But not hurting so much. She just had that way of hooking in and then, you know, giving us. The... So I was like, my buddy Chuck Seamer, she was a rolfer, he had turned me on to Adisha. I, did, I said, oh, I had a session with Edith, and I went, oh, great, she's one, you know. She, I had this early group of women, Edith Alonis, and Stacey Mills, and Dorothy Nolte. I feel like I should share with our listeners who might not be familiar with the 10 series that there's a classic session for rolfers go into the nose and mouth. Right. You only do it until 10 because the person's not ready for her. And then also you have to have that relationship. Exactly. Without the relationship. Now I've done it on a few people. 
maybe because it was someone's brother or sister and they'd been in the class, whatever. I'd go, okay, I'll work in there, I'll straighten it out, but it's not really how to get the series and then come back and get the head more balanced. Because it's, you're working on the inner part of the cranium and affecting everything way back in the head. So it's much better if the system's more open. But you can do it. Well, I mean, once you understand the territory, you can do a little fix-it work. Like, I have kids come in, I don't give them a 10 series, but okay, I go, man, we got to get that palette on. Mm-hmm. So I do the volume the palette, I do a maximum release, but it's more cranial mm-hmm. approach. Which is what roughing was, Ida wasn't uh, rough in there. Mm-hmm. So back to Florida, Ida did a demo from the east, yeah, east coast of Florida, and this woman had this really Kind of slightly strange looking head, and she was a in politics, she was a, uh, not the mayor, but the assistant mayor or something. And I had to work in this guy, and he had a really collapsed chest. When they got him, he put a shirt on, the shirt didn't fit. You could tell the shirt mm-hmm. went this way, and his shirt went that way. And everybody's like, damn, look, his shirt doesn't even fit anymore. It was unbelievable. Really collapsed that like that, you know. He's either like this, and all of a sudden he's like this, you know. <laughs> so I mean, people that come up and say you you have sessions with Doctor Rolf, and I go yeah. And they go give me your sessions, give me your sessions. And I'm literally pulling my clothes trying to get my sessions from it. It's crazy. And I did this one big thing was a movement. She had a big place, and we all laid down. And I helped her because I had already had one Rolf movement session. So she was trying to do the arm rotation and stuff. Mm. And there was a famous move of people in a woman in a room. Like her name. And she, you know, she was famous in Miami. And I did the foot, the toe hands, the one leg, and then the arms. And this lady jumped up. She said, I'm split, I'm split. And she, she felt like you know, one of them was half was alive and one was or something. She ran out with her. I'll run out and try to check, grab her and bring her back, you know. We were worried about her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we got her back and laid her down and did the other side, you know. But uh, in that class, like I said, people were just watching I teach movement. They were like, i got to get this. And then, with with the, 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 you mentioned there were a few Females like earlier on with the Deja and Stacy. What what happened? I know Stacy continued on. I had never heard of a Deja before you mentioned her yesterday. Well, Deja didn't really want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. She helped people. She helped Emmett. I I just sent Emmett to Deja. You know, Emmett was all nervous and sweating. He sweat a lot when he got nervous. He's a wonderful guy and brilliant. You know, he let him lie and uh, he was early in computers. Um. And I just said, well, you should go see Deja or whatever. And so she, you know, Deja worked with him, and much, she's much, you know. She's one of those women you want to be around. <laughs> so she's just a really soft person and very charismatic, but in a soft way. And uh, I said, well, why do you think I teach? She well, I help people out. I'm, I don't need to do that. Mm-hmm. She was busy and. She continued on like chaos of a class. She continued on her all thing. Yeah, she rolled until she passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I called her one of Ida's angels. I had five women 
uh, that she was referred to, Stacy, Adesia, and Dorothy Nolte. She asked Dorothy to come down and help us. Dorothy Nolte was rolling up in Philadelphia, amazing rolling. She came down to Miami and worked on a client that I'd been working on. She had her basic and advanced. Dorothy did one session, took before and afters, and I looked at it like, I don't believe this. She got all these changes that I hadn't gotten in five advanced sessions. And I'm like, I just, I was like flabbergasted. Dorothy trained early, and I, Dorothy wasn't, she'd get in there with her nails a little bit, but she would, this girl complained, she said, well, she used her nails on me. I said, well, yeah, she's smaller, she's a, a but look at all your changes, you know. Dorothy uh, had the eye, you know, she had a better eye than I did, by far. So Dor- I, Dorothy came down, we had her do a movement class with us, we all laid down, and she had us sensing this and sensing that. We're all blown away by her. We all wanted to move to Philadelphia. And, and Dr. Rolf recommended us to us, you know, she, she should bring Dorothy Nolte down here. But Dorothy didn't really want to do the big, the big scene with otters. See, in those days you had otters and practitioners. Mm-hmm. Practitioners were practicing, otters were asking questions, and uh, yeah, it didn't appeal to her at the time. Mm-hmm. Later on, she started teaching a few classes for Peter. Peter asked her if he'd help out a little bit. But um, I don't know about Adesia. I mean, I've been. I asked her about it once. She said, "Oh no, I'm happy here." Because hmm. the early classes were chaotic. Yet I'm not going to name names, but some guys are wanting to fight. They were like, "I'm more macho than you." And guys were smoking dope on Sunday and coming in a little stoned on Monday. It was really you're like, "What? I can't believe." It. I mean, I walked in once. I said, "I'd ask me to come out." I walk in. There's <laughs> Someone was dealing lids in the waiting room. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not against it, but I want, you know, if we'd gotten busted, it would have made the whole class look bad. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I mean, use your head here, you know. Yeah. Meet him down the block or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wasn't a bad person. And those, that, that would have been held at Esalen, those classes, or are they... That particular class was uh, in California, way of Esalen. So I had good classes. Like, we had one, I forget who organized, but it was in a high-rise. We had a basic on the, the sixth, fifth floor, and Vitas on the sixth floor, or something like that. Mm-hmm. They, they rented two apartments. And uh, I had taught an advanced class. She had me teach the basic. And then people really wanted to hear her. So I said, okay. I, I made sense to me. So I would take my basic class up. They would hear her lecture. And then they'd come back down. And sometimes I'd go, God, we got to watch her demo. I'd go, okay, okay. You know? Again, I didn't see myself as anywhere near. I had no one. So then we'd come down. I said, we got to catch up a little bit. And they were all fine with that because they got to see Ida and hear her. And I'd ask Ida if my father could come out to watch her. And I'd done a lot of stuff for her, so she said, sure. And my dad sat into a class for about a week, and he listened to all of her lectures. And uh, he's quiet, so, you know, he wouldn't, you know. And he went, you're doing a great thing here or something. And um, 
It's funny, in that class I had one guy, he had been rolled by I had a son who had really big hands and could go deep fast. He had these huge mushroomy hands. And his name was Dick. Dick could get deep fast, but he just had that, you know, and this guy's proper student was going deep like Dick. And people were like, yeah, I'm jumping up off the table. And I had six tables in there, and I heard this scream. And I literally jumped over a client on a table to get to the table where the scream came from. I mean, I got two seconds to get there. There's an emergency. I jumped over people. I said, what's happened? And the guy goes, I forget his leg or something. I looked down. And he had gone so deep into the angle that it messed up. So I went, stay away. And I grabbed it. And I, I could see it immediately. I was just lucky. You know, and no phase of variety, your eyes got better and better, you know. So I went down, I put it together, I said, don't touch this now. And he said, well, how, don't fix it, but show me how. I said, no, you're, you're in the wrong space. I said, I can, I'll show you later, but right now you're think, you're taking things apart. Mm-hmm. And it's, we don't, and that was the, some people have that idea, you take them apart in the first seven and put them together in the last three, but you really didn't. It wasn't about taking them apart in the first seven. It was about opening. I said, no, we're opening. You're in superficial fashion. Some people have that hard time, and I did too at first, because you're wanting You're thinking the deep fashion is where the, deep, the good stuff is. So you mentioned Ida's son. Can you, with your relationship with Ida, can you share a little bit what, like, what you know about her family life? Because... I feel like we don't know much about, like, you know, his sons. Right. Okay. But where's the husband? So Ida? Was he fall like, was he with her? With her when, I, I, I gotcha. So Ida, um, after Twilight, I met almost everybody. Mm-hmm. So Ida would have the, her son was Dick. She had two sons. So Dick was the biggest, and he had big old hands because he started helping Ida sometimes on the weekends. She'd say, we're torn to this guy's hamstrings. His name was Dick, Dick Dimmerly. Ida's other son was Alan, Alan Dimmerly. And Alan would say, no, Mom, I got studies to do. I'm going to be a, Alan, backtrack a little. Ida's father was an engineer. And he... She had to, she explained to him as she, why she wanted to get her master's in biochemistry and why she got her PhD. She said, men don't take me seriously, I'm a, I'm a chemist. I went, okay, so he gave her the money to go to her pro, the program. No day women didn't get these scholarships. Right. So I got her PhD at Columbia and her dad helped her. And she said, when I told my dad what I needed, he got right behind me. That's how she said it. When I told my dad what I needed, he got right behind me. I went, okay, you know. And she didn't want you to have any misconceptions about her dad being a bad, he was a good guy. And uh, so that's where you need to, you know, she had the support from her dad to get an education. So she married a guy, she married Walter, Walter Dimmerly. Walter was an engineer, and they had been buddies, and uh, they did some camping together before they got married. She, she wanted the guy who liked outdoors. And, and she loved being, you know, studying enzymes and stuff, but she didn't want to do enzymes seven days a week. 
I his dad taught her how to swim and sail. I told you we talked about sailing. We mm-hmm. talked about boating and swimming. This is that was kind of why she liked coming to Florida. We would always set her up on the beach where she could swim, or we'd have her near the beach, and we would we'd say, "You want to go to the beach? We'll give you a ride." Sometimes she wanted to drive. She wasn't a good driver, so we were trying to give her rides as much as possible. I'm not saying she's a bad driver, but... Uh, yeah. yeah. Who doesn't like to be chauffeured? Yeah. And so, um, you know, we'd set her up in a nice place near the water. Uh, and Jan, she loved Jan Davis' Sanitizia. She had a little pool in the back. And the Pelicans would come drink out of the pool. I had just got a big kick out of that. But Jan said, you want to go to the beach? Drive you over there. You know, whatever you want. Um... So her husband. Back to that. So her uh, she named she married an engineer named Walter, which kind of fit. Her dad was an engineer, and uh, they did a lot of camping. So one day, I had asked him about doing. I said, "If you went to Alaska for something, I went all. I said, flying up. I flew up to Calgary. She's all went up there with Walter. She said, um, you remember? I she I said, yeah. I said they have a place near called Lake Louise. She said, yeah, that's where we started from. I said, you started there. She said, yeah, we went over to Lake Louise, the Western Canada. She said, then we got a we got a guide and what they used to call him a manservant, but it was a helper. She said, an assistant. And we had the horses and mules, and we went up this trail for uh, uh, three or four weeks. And I, I figured out later it was the old Alaska Trail. There's a trail from Banff, and this was up west of Calgary, but went up into Alaska. She says, we went up for about six weeks, turned around. I so I said, you fly back? She says, in those days, young man, you went back the same way you came, or she, you came back the same way you went. And I'm like, that's not <laughs> my answer. And, but she wasn't scolding me. She was just saying that you didn't just jump in a plane, you know. So her and Walter, her husband, Loved to camp. And so she would take her kids camping and sailing. Like her son Alan told me, oh, yeah, mom always had a sailboat. And Alan always had a sailboat. And uh, I, so she and I would talk about sailing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so I knew she had sailed with her dad. And Alan, she, I think she gave her boat to Alan. But I remember one day. I forget where I was. Someone, I met someone who knew Ida. Some big hurricane was coming, and Ida went down to move the sailboat. And all by herself, she didn't have anybody to help her, so she had to cut it loose, and she got the sails down, and she had to move the sailboat from one place to another, so she didn't want to get ripped up with the oncoming hurricane. The guy said, I couldn't believe it. There's little, little ladies out there moving the sailboat around, and I thought she'd need some help the sheriff. So uh, I can come back with some people, and by the time I got back, she moved the boat. <laughs> so I was a very strong, determined person. But you know, so her, she had that strength already from yeah. sailing and swimming, and that's what she liked to talk about. And, you know, her and her husband went this long. It was a three-hour, a three-month trip up in Alaska and back. She said, my husband got off the horse and twisted his ankle. She said, maybe that's when Rolfing started. She said, I knew I had to fix that ankle or we're going to have a miserable trip. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> so these little stories would come out of her as you were talking about 
where you had been or what you had done. It would remind her of something she had done. She didn't naturally just sit down and brag. Mm-hmm. When we were out here teaching, I brought my Volvo wagon out. She'd say, I heard about a certain road. And so I would take her riding her. In 73, it was well, a tenth of the people are now, maybe not even that. It was a very small town. You get the mountains here, and there weren't other cars, you know. So she liked going down, and she'd say, Stop, go back there. Pick that blue flower for me. I'm like, oh, you're going around a curve, but you're not looking at blue flowers. And I picked out, I went brought her flower back, and she says, You know, and Walter would pick me a flower. He always left the leaves on. <laughs> I went, oh, yes, ma'am. I said, I'll, I'll leave the leaves on next time. She wasn't mad. She was. She what has Walter passed now? Or? Yeah, but Walter had already passed away. I never met Walter. Okay. Sort of, I hadn't met her. So, she called me up in the New York crawl. She said, Would you come down here? I need you to come down here and help me with Dick. He needs some work. I said, Okay. I'm thinking I'll come down Saturday morning. I was in New York. She was in Black Hoffman's Jersey or something. But this time she had a little teeny apartment, but it was right next to the woods. So I went down there, I got a ride, and uh, she said, let me show you. And sure, you came out of her apartment. It was kind of like a separate apartment, almost like a cottage. And you went 10 feet, and there was this beautiful little trail into the woods, and kind of a dreary woods. And I just love it. I can walk out my door and go down. I can find these trails and get lost and come back, you know. This is probably when she was like 81, 82. And uh, I went, oh, yeah, this is nice. And all of a sudden she said, well, uh, I probably won't be back this Sunday, but Dick will be here in the morning. And she says, I want you to give him a good session. And I, hope you'll, I hope you don't mind. <laughs> what? <laughs> she had her bags back. She was making herself at home. Fluffy there. <laughs> so I wasn't expecting that, but I had left my uh, play plane kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my Tokyo was going to see Ida, so I didn't schedule anything for a couple of days because I didn't know what was going to happen. Well, the next day, her son came over to, you know, she, the other one, uh, she had two sons, I said, and so I worked on Dick, and he's. He was happy, his shoulders were buggy and so forth. We were buddies. And Dick felt like he could tell me things without me telling other people. It wasn't anything deep, you know, I mean, like just working hard. He was married to a woman. His, his wife's name was, I forget right now, but I know his wife. He had three kids. He named one of his sons Rolf. See, I had married a guy named Dimmerly, Walter Dimmerly. And so, but she kept, because her PhD was in Rolf, she kept her Rolf name because she wanted to say, I have a PhD, don't get in my face. Absolutely. When people would get in her face, she was, she didn't like it. She would challenge him. Once she was in this big auditorium, maybe 500 people on a site kept after her about it. Why don't you use anesthesia? And he'd raise his hand and say, you haven't answered my question, but it hurts you, should lose anesthesia. And she got, this was third time he'd brought this up. And she started twiddling her thumbs, which was not a good sign. And uh, she says, tell me, young man, you seem like a very learned young man. What is your expertise? And he said, well, I'm a urologist. She says, oh, the kidney. 
And then, oh, well. So then you understand sodium potassium. And you also understand the Krebs cycle. You know, sodium goes up, potassium does come down. So there's that one point where they flip. They go up together, come down together. And she says, can you explain that little part to me? He goes, well, uh, she says, that's okay. Sit down. I'll tell you. If you can't figure it out, I'll tell you later. He's in front of 500 people. But see, he had come after her three times. And she went, I've had it with this guy. <laughs> tell me what. You're an expert. What is your expertise? And she just went right for the, you know, try to embarrass me. I'll show you who's smart and who isn't smart. Uh-huh. I never saw her do that, except the one who was really on her, trying to make belittle her uh-huh. in some way. Once I saw her, another psychiatrist, she was constantly coming in with an entourage. He'd written a book, um, it was a good book. It was a hot big seller, anyhow. And psychotherapy. And he would come in with three or four beautiful men walking behind him or with other people. And uh, he was constantly interrupting her lecture and asking her a question. One day she just had it. And she. She said, I have a question for you. I can't remember the question, but it was a personal question. It sounded benign. It was like a wolf in sheep's clothing. She slid in this little question and he went, uh, 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 that's not a fair question. And he started crying. <laughs> uh, when he asked the question, it didn't sound, but I heard it. I went, oh, she slipped in the question because I'd seen her do this once or twice. She's looking in there and saying, I'm tired of this guy interrupting me. He, he's trying to embarrass me. I'm tired of it. <laughs> she just had this intuition of what to say. And then she almost never did this. You had to really get in her nerves. And this guy started crying. And it sounded like a perfectly simple question. I can't remember, but I'm like, okay. I could tell there was a little personal trail in there. And when that guy starts, she says, it's okay, we all have emotions, we all get upset, take, take your time, someone get in an anchorage, some can lean out, you know. And we should, we should have a break right now, so I took a break. But I, uh, she knew therapy, but she didn't want to be a therapist, she wanted to keep rolling, rolling. So how did you guys end up, what's your story of how you guys ended up in Boulder? Okay, so I really wanted three schools. Right. She wanted one on the East Coast, and so she was trying to get the Florida group to put together a school on the East Coast. And we were working on it. We found a building in St. Pete. And then she was hoping to have one in California, maybe San Francisco or L.A. or Big Sur. And then she wanted... Peter had moved here, and Peter was one of her favorites. She was a wonderful golfer and a wonderful human being. He married him. And then moved here first. And Emmett had a big practice, and you know, Emmett uh, had a little house up here in Blueberry, and he had Dick Sensibles took care of him. They were sweethearts or roommates, whatever you want to call it. They were actually married, they were wedding rings. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so, uh, I know that Emmett, Dick said, why don't you come out here, I'll organize a class. And, because he organized, I had told him, why don't you teach a class in Boulder? So, Emma did a class in Boulder. I came out for a week. 
Like I said, you know, it'd be good if there's a week, another raw for there for graduation. I didn't even get reimbursed for it, but I thought, okay. So, uh, flew out. I didn't do much. I hung around the class, helped out just a little because it was in a show and I knew he, he didn't want me to interfere. If he asked me to do something, I'd do it. So I just hung around and I was there for graduation. I said, you guys had a great training. I was here for I said, Emma gave you a great job. I shook everybody's hand. But, you know, Emma gave them a real good certificate. And then Peter moved out here. See, Peter moved out here, or one or the other, I can't remember. Emma and then Peter. And so Peter was married, had a kid or two, and then he came out and had two more kids. So they were saying, Dr. Rock, why don't you come here? We know you love, we know you love the outdoors. You know, I did too. And so Ida came out here and Boulder was teeny. Teeny. And you could be in the mountains in five minutes. Or, you know, there's a few hippies and a few. The school was much smaller. I mean, the senior in Boulder. Um, this building here, one of these rooms was sort of a dance hall for a while. So, um, Ida loved it. She could, and she would bring her grandkids out and take them up to the state park one summer because she, well, this is great for my grandkids. So she liked being outdoors with her grandkids. You know, they got that train below here. So she had her kids come out and take the train down back because she didn't have to, you know, she could enjoy it with them. So Ida liked it here. And so she, well, we could have a school here. Plus, Peter Nelber, they were her first two teachers, see. And then I was just assisting. And then I made, she made me a teacher, so I did my first year, and Peter was the assistant. It was kind of goofy. He had much better teaching skills than I had. And uh, so I did sit here, so she said, well, she had three schools. She really wanted one central, east coast, and west coast. So her idea was to try to get one back in New York or somewhere there. Philadelphia was fine for her, and then uh, the West Coast. So we had Michael Salison, he was the first teacher in the West Coast. And then Michael assisted her before me, so Michael was assisting when I took the advanced class. And then uh, Sultan was assisting when I was first teaching, so I was actually maybe six weeks ahead of Sultan. Sometimes I like to think he thought I did, but it really didn't work out that way. So, uh, for the for the schools, I had heard that each school was supposed to be themed. Like there was going to be one was maybe more structural, one was more psychological, and one was yeah. I just said that it might turn out that way. Mm-hmm. She didn't say it should. Okay. She said, you know, these people on the West Coast, they really seem to be in the psychotherapy and putting that together because some of them were. That makes sense. There yeah. a lot of rolfers. They trained at Ashland. They were really good at Gestalt. They were really good at running groups, but especially Gestalt and one-to-one. And she said, so it seems like that might be a natural fit for the West Coast. She said, on the East Coast, uh, they're more, had more uh, uh, intellectual or something. She said, so maybe they'll be, that'll be pure raw thing. And she said, Boulder, Boulder's sort of in the middle. Boulder might be a mixture. 
she didn't say it had to be this or that. Mm-hmm. This was her like looking in the future, what might be a natural uh, evolution. Right. But correct me if I'm wrong. That that there's still the idea that through Ida that Rolfing isn't is never was never meant to just be purely structural. It is to have these components of psychotherapy or psychology or the somatic or, or spirituality, spirituality, and then the movement aspect. That yeah, I uh, I didn't really want the movement to be separate, but it turned out that way. Mm-hmm. It was so much easier for the movement people. Because if I had a pure movement class, you'd have guys, you know, starting to stick their elbows and stuff. Look at me, I'll do it this way, you know. And so, like, I took some early classes with Judith, and I love them because she just learned how to help people feel their toe hinge. Mm-hmm. You could work on toes forever, but if they can't move their toes like a toe hinge, it doesn't hold up half the time. So I... I actually went out to LA and took a class, a movement class, and I was a model in one of my Judith's classes. You know, people were moving line. I went, damn, that's helpful, you know. Mm-hmm. Some teachers didn't see it that way. I move tissue, that movement's for, they thought the movement was for women, because Judith was, uh, had a master's in dance, but I didn't see it that way. Uh, Dorothy Nolte was an amazing author. She was way one of the first, you know. And she did some movement, and she did some psychotherapy, but not. It happened in the process. She didn't go lay down. We're going to talk about mom or something. Yeah. And if it popped up, she could deal with it. Mm-hmm. And she would sometimes she'd run a group to help you feel yourself more. The part of feeling yourself was emotional, and that was fine with her. She could be present for that. Mm-hmm. So then you, when did you find yourself in Boulder? Well, like I said, I came out here, I was here for the whole summer of 74. Mm-hmm. I spent the summer of 73 in Ashland, Idaho. Went back to Florida, and then uh, and I was going back and forth to New York a little bit. One of my clients was a guy who wanted to be a rolfer, his name was Michael Blackburn. He moved to New York and said, man, we could really use some help up here. So... I went up to New York, he set me up. I went up, he got a little room for me, and I was crashing a little teeny bedroom, that was okay. I was doing 20 people a week. So. And people were like, man, we, we'd love you to stay here. And Michael, he had more busier needs to be, so. Anyhow, I, so I decided to stay there. My dad, you know. I fly down the dance. That's fly down the floor and see my dad twice a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom had passed away, so I just wanted to check in my dad. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, so the floor, California thing, I could, I'd asked me to go to California, I would. I'd just fly out. I had a Volvo wagon. Once I left it out there, I left it at Chuck Seymour's house. I said, do you mind if I leave my... I had to get back. I didn't want to drive back across country. I left my car with another rolfer for about a year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I wanted to, she didn't want to just be at Esalen, though. She wanted to be on the West Coast and the East Coast and the Middle. Mm-hmm. And she also just liked her, as I said, because she could bring her grandkids out there. And she loved the drives around those mountains. Right. 
reminded her of her husband. That's one of her early stories about Walter. Uh-huh. Now I'm curious about what was your draw? Was it just purely teaching to come here and support the now becoming the Rolf Institute for you to leave New York? Yeah, I sometimes think that was a mistake when I looked at it. I had a really good deal there, a nice apartment. And, uh, no, I came out here, and uh, in the old building, we had a classroom in the front and the back, mm-hmm. on 4th. And uh, there was, I was teaching in one room, and there was a movement teacher in the bigger room, movement class, and then there was a little bathroom in the middle. And every time I, about half the time I come out and I'd see this movement teacher, her name was Jane Harrington. So I went back to New York and I called her up a couple of times and I said, what she was doing? And she said, well, I'm doing this and that. She said, well, I'm making a cook right now. And I'm like, okay. And, uh, and I called her again and she said, well, I'm going to be in Boulder, uh, so-and-so. So I came out here and um, just, you know, got an apartment and I to act like I was just rolling, and then we came up, and then we just got hot and heavy the first time we saw each other. So you and Jane Harrington hung out? We we had been talking, though, for a year. Mm-hmm. I'd call her up, and I'd love to come out to San Francisco and see you, and then it didn't quite work out. And then I knew her friends, and I was calling her friends up. Uh, if her friend's name, I'd go, uh, what does she like, what doesn't she like, you know, that kind of thing. And then uh, she had a daughter. I had always wanted to have a kid. And I thought I'd already, it was like a package deal for me. You know, it was like ice cream and cake, so to speak. So I got to be an instant dad, and uh, she had a really sweet little kid. And so we were trying to figure out where to live. I didn't think her kid would like New York City. I could have been on, but it just didn't seem that way. She'd been living in really a sweet part of San Francisco. Mm-hmm. And I had worked in Cal in Tucson. The biological dad lived in Arizona. So I thought, well, maybe we, why don't we live in Arizona? Your daughter can be close to her biological dad and go back and forth. And, uh, we, Amy, her name's Amy. And she, she really didn't do well with the heat. She was probably like a thermometer. She's always red and. Sounds like uh, me. <laughs> <laughs> the same thing. And then her her dad came over, and he was always he's a rodeo rider, and he was always starting trying to start fights. He loved to fight. And I had to go to the bathroom and throw water in my face and go, "Don't do it, don't do it," and go back out and try to be calm again. You know, and I'd heard he liked to fight, and I'm like, I can't fight this guy. It ruined my daughter. You know, I wasn't afraid of him, but I was like, he wouldn't work. You know, mm-hmm. she couldn't have accepted me as her stepdad. I'm punching out her dad, or he's punching me out. So. I learned how to get along with a guy. and um, So did you and Jane get married? Not exactly, but we lived together for quite a while. That was a big mistake of mine. I didn't marry her. I think it pissed her off after a while. I mean, we were together, and we were we did, we started teaching cranials. I, she saw I was good. People were always coming to the house in Tucson asking me cranial questions. Okay, so you didn't go from New York to Boulder. You went to New York to, to Tucson. Tucson. And she says... I'm tired of this. You should do a class. So she called these people. She says, Jim is doing a class. Here's a date. And who did you do your cranial training with? Uh, just a bunch of people. So I had, had well, Jan Davis helped me. Mm-hmm. 
She was a rolfer, but she'd been through the cattle, cat cranial cavity a bunch of times. So I was doing some cranial work in her. She said, well, that's messed She didn't say it was messed up, but it was. She said, you can't work anymore. You have to work on this, my boyfriend. He really wasn't her boyfriend. So I'm working on him. I finally realized I was too heavy-handed. That's why she didn't work on it. So I got lighter and lighter and lighter. So was, Jan helped. Jan Davis helped me tremendously. That was my hands were huge. I was thinking bones, not membranes and fluids. So then I started taking some classes with a pleasure because he came down. So when he first came to Florida, no one knew who he was. So I went down and got privates from him before he, he got big. And flying to see my dad, I rent a car, go get a couple of sessions, come back up, fly back to New York. Mm-hmm. Were you the person that kind of helped bring him to the Roth Institute? Because I know he was doing some training at first. First guy to help him was Charlie, mm-hmm. Charles Swinson. Charles was really wanting to be a uh, do cranial. He really wanted to be a uh, cranial osteopath. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to remember. So, uh, Charles was uh, an anatomy teacher, but he had this for cranial, a really wonderful guy, and uh, so he moved to Kirksville, Missouri, because that's the, one of the first osteopathic schools. Yeah, and he had a wife, like uh, a really wonderful person, and uh, he said, "Let's just go there for a year or two. And he he signed up for junior college courses because he didn't have a degree yet, and so he got permission to sit on the cranial class at night. So then I'm here taking some classes. I work on my hands. So we audited the cranial, Kirksville cranial class at night. Everybody else was there, the Ossipex. So we noticed most of the people were goofing off. They weren't paying attention. And some guys weren't even showing up to the class. So you go to me and say, you know, this is a brilliant lecture. So I loved it. You know, thanks for letting me sit in here. I'm so honored. And I noticed some of these people aren't taking it seriously. He says, frankly, he said, this is an elective. I can't make these people. And we want to get them exposed to them. We're hoping they'll, they'll, we can set the hook and pull them into cranial. So a lot of them just want to get that medical degree. Mm-hmm. He said, I can't help that. But I'm hoping someone will get interested like you are. So at some point, Charles, Charles, you might be calling Charles, I think. Charles or Charlie, you know, he won't even. So he realized that, wow, I don't have to go to school. So the guy let him watch some more. And then the young pleasure thing happened. So he went out and helped. He was Charles was a big, friendly guy. And he started helping up Ledger. And so up Ledger made him a teacher for a while. And then Charles' wife started teaching all too. She was really good at playing off. And she had gone to the Railkin program at some point. Mm-hmm. Really nice person. I'm embarrassed that I can't remember her first name. And so uh, they they live up there in La Porta. Mm-hmm. And uh, he doesn't come down much. He was down here, and the politics of the school really turned him off. You know? mm-hmm. For a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. So he was an anatomy teacher for a while, but then he just got tired of the politics and not going back to Boulder again. Um, yeah, um, 
you were saying before about how, you, how Jane sort of set you up to start teaching. Cranial. Yeah, so she set up a cranial class, and we had about 15 or 20 people, I can't remember. We had a house, had a big living room, and so we just sat, and had a big sunroom right next to it, so we just sat and do it there. And people really liked it, and so Jane said, you know, we should do this in San Francisco. So she got, she knew some, she lived in San Francisco getting her master's in dance uh, at Long Mountain, I think. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, so she called some people who went to San Francisco. The class went really well. People loved it. They wanted to come back for another one. We did another one in the Bay Area. And then we did one in Berkeley. Then we were making our moving there. Jane liked it there. I liked it there. We started flying out looking for apartments. And then she said, well, now we've got to find schools. And I started talking to people about schools. It turned out some of the schools are really rough. Mm-hmm. Mimi was this little fragile little girl, really kind of thin. And um, sort of fragile at the time, in my opinion. So um, I was like, yeah, well. So I said, we got to find the right place for the right school, because some of the schools are pretty tough. Mm-hmm. And so we waited a year, and Jane got tipped off about it. She thought I was stalling. I really did well in San Francisco. I loved it. And then we thought about L.A. Jane had a good friend named Vivian. who lost me to L.A. And I didn't think we would do as well in L.A. I mean, I thought we'd be busy. But I'd lived in L.A. before. It's, I don't know. You got you go to the movies, you gotta drive 20 miles and looking for parking takes you another hour. Mm-hmm. You know, we had been in Boulder, even in New York City, it was easy. You know, you take the subway downtown, you're the movie. You go down to the village and you see a different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, New York was easy. New York, you know, even Tucson was easier. You know, I didn't quite. I knew I could make a living there. Mm-hmm. I don't like we'd be happy there. Right. Jane's best friend Vivian lost the move there. And Vivian was real busy and she would send Jane up with all these clients and she'd getting paid more. And I said, Yeah, you're making more money there, but you know, it's gonna be cost us twice as much. And so I'll make you a deal. You go to LA, you live there for two weeks, and I'll we'll split the cost, whatever. You're not staying at Vivian. Vivian had this house up on the damn mountains. It was incredible. Her boyfriend had this huge hot tub, redwood hot tub, surrounded by trees. It was a multi-million. It's worth multi-millions now. Uh, I'm like, we can't live there. We can't afford to live up that in that canyon area. We'll be living in Santa Monica. We're lucky, you know. I said, you live in Santa Monica for two weeks. I'll move. You'll hear nothing from me. I'll pack up and we'll go there. Again, I knew I could make the money there, but I didn't know if we'd be happy there. And I didn't think the schools in L.A. would be good for me. I really didn't. So we had a little disagreement about that. And it is her, Jane's kid, so she didn't like me telling her. And I'm not saying I was a better parent, just my own thing. So You don't mess with mama and the kids. Yeah. <laughs> she went out to L.A. She's all right. I'm going to drive out there and work. I'm out in the car and... Uh, she went there four days, Santa Monica. She called me up. She said, People are crazy, right? And I told her, Here's the deal. You're not going to live with Vivian. You'll get 
get up every morning, imagine you're driving the kid to school. Drive the kid to school and come back. I don't care what you do the rest of the day. But around 3 or 4 o'clock, imagine you've got to pick the kid up to take her to a dance lesson or something. I said, you have no idea what LA traffic's like. Because Vivian's set up so we never experience the traffic. We always travel on off hours. And I'm like, yeah, you're used to going in there at 10.30. That's not their usual traffic pattern. So I said, at 5 o'clock, imagine you got to pick her at 4.30. You've got to pick the kid up and take her somewhere. Jane was there three days, called back. She said, it's crazy here. I want to come home. I don't want to be here for two weeks. Three or four days. I said, yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? So she realized that living there was different than living up in the hills of Vivian. So we... I can't remember that before. So then we came up here. We, uh, I met this really wonderful osteopath in Ohio who had studied with some amazing osteopath. So I called him up and said, we'd love to bring you to Boulder to teach. You'll love it. And I said, we just have a small cranial class. Everybody there will be really nice to you. You'll get to go hiking. I said, you'll be 10 blocks from these beautiful mountains. And you know, I described the flat irons. And I said, I guarantee you'll be up in the flat irons after every evening, hiking and loving it, and we'll set you up with this and that. So the guy came out here for a two-day cranial, and I made sure he got his hiking in and so forth. And we brought the kid up, Amy. And it was a totally different person. She was happy. She was laughing. She was running around like, like she was on drugs or something. I mean, she wasn't. I mean, she was just so happy. It was unbelievable. And I realized the Tucson heat wasn't for her, and the Arizona heat wasn't for her. And the, this, there was, she had done well in San Francisco as a child, you know. So I went, let's move to Boulder. Look how happy this kid is. And Jane went, yeah, let's move to Boulder. Okay. So we moved up here and it worked out great. We got her in a little grammar school up here. She had friends immediately. And we realized we needed a bigger place so she could have friends over, you know, the old sleepover thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was great. You know, she just flourished up here. Mm-hmm. Her grades kept up. She got. She liked school again. She, I mean, I still know two or three of her friends. When I see them, I go, hey, on her. go, hey, Mr. Asher. Yeah. So, um, yeah, one little girl named Sarah, she came over. We lived, our house was right up, it was an alley that turned into a trail, right up on Marine, behind Marine. Oh, okay. Yeah. Nice. And a cute little house, and this girl named uh, Sarah would come over and she'd say, Mr. Asher, can we go up uh, hike a little bit? And I said, sure. Her husband was a trail guide, or dad, I mean, not her husband. So I'd say, call Honor up. Honor was slightly overweight, but really bright. She had a photographic memory. I said, take on her with you. So sometimes on her would go, sometimes she would. But they go up these little hikes, and so my daughter fell in love with hiking. And after a while, she was telling me, I don't like these talks we're having. Let's go for a hike and then talk. You know, so I go, okay. And then she, we got her a mountain bike. You know, that's when men's bikes, the first day was mostly men's bikes. So I got her a little bike that fit her, and she loved biking. So is this the daughter that you were talking about before we started our interview who, where you had to get your own office because... Yeah, 
So we had, I had a home office, and everybody kept coming to the house to meet her. Going, Are you going to be a rolfer? And she's, why do I have to be a rolfer? I said, you don't have to be a rolfer. You're going to be an artist, be anything you want to be. But people asked her, and she was like, well, there's, there's more context to that now, yeah. too, that, that her mother was Jane Harrington. Too. Yes. Right. Yeah. Jane was mostly the movement at first. She mm-hmm. was trying to make it as a movement teacher and prove that she didn't have to be a rolfer. She had a little chip on her shoulder. Mm-hmm. Um, I can help people with movement. She did. She helped That's a lot of people with movement. I was in a class with Jane. She's an amazing yeah. teacher. Yeah. She really helped my teaching skills. She's a much better teacher than I am. Mm-hmm. So I could watch her. How the hell she get that? You know, she she could turn the classroom real quick, uh, in a good way. Uh-huh. And so, um, yeah. So <laughs> in that way, it worked out good. The kid was happier. Jane was happier for the most part. What was the Rolf Institute in Boulder yet, or was it? Yeah, we were here, and we had a little. We had a building on Fourth, a little brick building. And behind it was a bigger classroom. So that little classroom up front, it's got a kind of a patio outside of it, and it had a skylight. Is this the, no, this isn't the same building that's on Canyon that's next to the gas station, or the car wash? No. Not the ones with the beams in the middle of the classroom? Yeah, no. That was our second building. That's, I trained in that second building. Yeah, our first building was on, on Pearl, mm-hmm. uh, on 4th. A little teeny brick building, and then it had a little teeny upstairs, and that's where Dick's building office was at first. And then behind that was a big, was a bathroom. It didn't have enough bathrooms, which I kept on Dick. It would be real simple to put a second bathroom in. Dick just didn't. It's hard to get him to do the damn thing. And it would have been simple to put a ladies' room in that second. It was a small hallway, but it had been, you know. You know, with plumbing, you can back up easy, you know, you just make room, you know. Yeah. This would be so simple. Uh, so what was your involvement, <clears throat> excuse me, with the Rolf Institute? Besides teaching, did you have much more involvement with the with the Rolf Institute? Well, you know, I mostly helped Ida. Mm-hmm. So that created some conflicts. I wasn't helping Ida to get ahead. I was a teacher. Mm-hmm. And I didn't even try to be a teacher. Ida made me a teacher. And I'm like, okay. And I, Peter and were I saw them as my elders. So did you teach all of the um, at the time? Well, I guess even back when maybe when you were, were you doing the auditing and the, the... I did an auditing and the practice. In those days, you taught both. Mm-hmm. You taught a practitioner and auditing. You, you taught practitioners and auditors audited. Mm. And then at some point we realized others were getting, they really weren't being taken care of. So we decided to split it up. And it was much better for them. Mm-hmm. They were always treated as second class students. Yeah. People would say, hey, would you put my sheet on my table for me? How do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I was on the faculty, you know, so it was Peter, Emma were the first, then I was probably number three. And then I felt like we needed more women. So I had Stacy, I helped her, and then I helped Gail. And uh, I had a couple other women assist, and some of them really weren't set. set. And we had another woman, she, that probably the sixth teacher was Tom. And we had another woman that I had brought in. Her name was uh, Caroline Widmer. She was a tall woman. 
Cheryl had been a teacher. She had her first basic though, and she, she'd gone to India to meditate. Everybody's telling her she needed to be more chill. Uh, <laughs> she can be a little stern occasionally. And uh, she just thinks I'll go to India and meditate just before my class. Come in, I'll be smooth, you know. She picks up parasites. Well, you don't know it for a while. She's teaching and she's not feeling good. So occasionally she'll open up a table and she'll lay down because parasites can hurt you in one other place or the other, yeah. especially your liver. And she's teaching. And we have one guy, he thought he should be a teacher. I'm not going to name his name. And he started bad-mouthing her, saying, you know, why is she laying down and this and that and the other? She had no idea she didn't have parasites in the middle of the class. And um, it's sad that, I mean, it's too bad that she, we had, could have given her more support. Like, Carol, would she, would, could we come in and help you? Or why didn't she call Peter or me? Or can we, how can we help you? Right. Not take over, not displace her, you know. I don't know why she didn't think of it, and maybe you didn't give her that message by like putting it on her. And I always feel like we should have done more for her. There was rumors that the class wasn't going well. Yeah. And so she got really hurt by it. She was damaged by it. It's just not right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyhow, sorry. She was just really bad, I thought. Because I would go see her later, and I could tell she was... I said, I'm sorry about your class. Da, da, da. So anyhow, uh, she would have been a teacher with another lady, Marsha or Martha. And she would have been the fifth or sixth teacher. She was Peter Nemeth, then myself, and then uh, Michael Salveson. Michael was right before me, then me, and then Salveson was after Salveson, myself, and then Sultan. And then Ida told us to start making teachers. She didn't like the pressure to pick people. So, uh, we have Peter and Emma, really like this girl named Martha, tall, thin woman, she moved back to Vermont because her mom was sick. She did a basic, I don't know who the assistant was, it could have been Tom, all I remember, but she, I always started the class having you say, what is Rolfing? And you have to start off Rolfing as so-and-so. And then I would interrupt and take off on a lecture. But Martha decided that I thought this was a good idea to start off with this question. So every day she would start the question off. What is Rolfing? She'd say, why don't you give us five minutes on what you think Rolfing is? We might not have been prepared. You go, uh, and then next day she'd point to someone else. So a lot of people didn't like this. And one guy in the class wanted to be a teacher. So he was like, I wouldn't teach that way. And he kind of, in those days, there was a lot of backbiting by some people who thought they should be the teacher or something. Well, I think there still is some money these days, too. Well, it could be. So, <laughs> she didn't like it. She felt like she'd bust her butt and was, you know, get a lot of grief over one little thing the first five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then her mom got sick, so she moved back to Vermont. You know, uh, then Caroline came into the class, same thing. She had parasites. She didn't plan it. So that would have been two women right off the bat that would have been the first eight. Do you follow me? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meanwhile, I had Stacy come assist me. Stacy was wonderful, and I worked with her in Hawaii. 
So Stacy taught for a while, but she didn't always get the best class. So they had her teach one in New York, but it went well. But they, unfortunately, the classroom was in a noisy part of the city where they drop off a lot of stuff and the trucks are constantly honking in the morning. Well, when you got the place, no one thought, let's go there at 9 o'clock in the morning. Right. It was like, so people said they loved Stacy, but they couldn't hear her half the time because she had a very soft voice. So that's kind of, we were hoping to have that school in New York, you know, and then, you know, we had another class in the East Coast, same thing, it was going to be in D.C., and students didn't like, the area was going to be rough or something, I didn't like to go to that one. So Jim, you have such a wonderful, rich history that you're sharing with us about Ida personally, her teachings, the schools, and if you wouldn't mind taking the liberty, if there is one, two things, if there was reflecting on a whole of the history of the development of the Rolf Institute, what do you think the lesson that you wish that the Rolf Institute ha- has learned or will learn, and what do you think the future of the Rolf Institute should be? I, I think that we could have not had the split if we if a couple of people hadn't gotten up to me about it. We could have healed it quickly. Because Peter didn't really want to split. But some people were just, his wife was talking to Dick on the phone. She worked for us. And they were like, why is, that, why is, why is Susan talking to Dick? And they were friends. Like you had your best friend all of a sudden was working somewhere else. Let's say you work at IBM and all of a sudden your best friend's a Hewlett Packard, you'd still talk to him occasionally. Of course. They didn't think Susie should talk to Dick. And he would call her up. She didn't want to hang up on him. And then people were giving her a hard time. And Peter said, Why are you giving my wife a hard time? That's just not right. That's why he left. People were giving his wife a hard time. So we didn't learn something there. You know, we should have said, Okay, we've got to treat people better. People can work for us, and we can't determine who their friends are. Uh, I don't know. It was kind of silly, and we were too tight. Now it's kind of more relaxed, and we realize there are other schools out there, and we can't be this um, can't be as rigid. I think depending who you talk to. Okay. Depending who you talk to. Well, I think you know the school is going well. You know, I still think you know we need. what happens here is, of course, you know, the, the, whoever's in charge of the institute, the director, of course, feels like we always have financial things, so they're afraid to get classes to California or the East Coast. Because they're afraid of losing revenue. Mm-hmm. Not for themselves, but the class always, you keep that mm-hmm. thing, you have to have revenue. And so in the early days, we had more fundraising, and I think part of these fractions between people, or less fundraising. A guy once found a millionaire and, who loved Rolfing. And uh, I took him down to Ty's birthday party. He loaned me to drive, you know, brand new Porsche. He said, I want you to drive my Porsche back. It was like midnight. And I said, It's kind of late. No, you're driving. It was like a, well, the best Porsche on the road. He couldn't have bought a more expensive Porsche. Right, and uh, he just wanted to reward me for taking the right his birthday party. Mm-hmm. And he gave some money, I raised some money from him. I said, 
Jim Oshman has this research project. He says, are you going to do it? Is he a good man? I say, well, to be honest, he can get distracted. He's a brilliant scientist. So I want to meet him and talk to him. So he, this millionaire, took the time out, took Jim up to, uh, to his famous research place in Woods Hole, Cal Woods Hole. And Jim, he said, let's go to the library. Uh, this guy got a PhD from Columbia, I think, anyhow. His basic degree was, uh, he was five beta captain of physics, and then he decided to get a PhD in English to get out of the draft. But, uh, he said, I noticed you have a lot of friends you're talking all the time. And I'm not going to pay for that. I will pay you, Bat Jim says you can do good fashionable research, but I'm going to pay you for six weeks and I have to see results. But here's what I'm going to do for you. He said, I've already gone to the library. I've gotten you a desk on the third floor. You can pay for a desk ahead of time. And it's your desk. You can leave your books there. Because you need to be in the third floor away from people. Or you'll be gathering all day. I'm not paying for that. <laughs> and then Jim called me. I this guy doesn't want to talk. I said, he wants you to be a successful researcher, which you used to be. And he's right. You do talk too much. I, I'm the same way. So his name was Myron, and he said that he's a good guy, but he, he's got to be kept away from his friends. He said, have breakfast, do your research, it's six o'clock after he talked to him, and I'm going to pay you X number of dollars, and I expect to see something done in three weeks and something done in six weeks. And, but Myron went up there and checked it out on his own. He didn't have to. And uh, so Jim did a really good job on fascia. And we just needed more of that. And mm-hmm. I, Myron wanted to teach an anatomy class. And I said, let's set this guy up. He'll be the assistant anatomy teacher. No, he hasn't done this. He hasn't done that. Mm-hmm. I said, he's done other things. He just wants to teach at one time. He will never come back. He's got a wife and two daughters. His wife's a psychiatrist. He's got a uh, he, he had a money manager. He had his own thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I said, just let him teach this one. He didn't mean to teach it. He can co-teach it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to do it. It was that rigidity again. And I, he, I wasn't trying to be a teacher. You know? Yeah. So you're saying that the... the um, We've had a few people that way. They wanted help Rolfin, but they wanted something out of it. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to be crowned a king or queen, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we put up these roadblocks and stop us from, you know, we've had a few other people want to get money, but they, you know, it's like if you give money to church, and eventually you'd like to see your name on the one glass window or something. Right. I don't know. Uh, but I don't know. I felt like we just, that's just one example, and then we had some, uh, I know another guy, he was teaching, he did this, he did all kinds of work for Ida. And one teacher started spreading rumors around about him. This guy's girlfriend had broken up with him. She went to another town, he was getting some rock, and she started complaining, you know, he's seen other girls or something. It was an unfair comparison. Mm-hmm. So, uh, 
You know, I know the three or four people that do a lot of work for the school, and then they got shut off to the side because of one little thing or one cut. One person didn't like it. Mm-hmm. He once said, oh, he's a party boy. He said, he didn't party more than you do, you know? Mm-hmm. The guy complained about his party, and party giving wasn't like the guy with the drum, you know? Mm-hmm. He didn't party that much. So I think we're sometimes too tough on people, and then we, we held people out. We're too... Um, but they don't... Isn't that a, the motto is we hold to higher standards, but I don't know if we necessarily we hold ourselves to higher standards as well. Yeah, I felt that the standard is a double standard, you know. Uh, so we, you know, uh, I've known a couple of people who probably could have, like I said, Tom West is a psychologist. He wanted to start a school in St. Petersburg. He even found a building. It was a historical building. And I, he had me come down and look at it. The living room would have been a great for a classroom, and the dining room would have been great for a classroom. I think I showed it to Susan Yelker or somebody. And I said, this would be a great classroom, and it's uh, historical. So you had to leave the outside alone. Mm-hmm. And upstairs had some bedrooms. So you couldn't mess them up. The students could stay up there. And did have a little kitchen. And St. Pete in those days was easy to find rooms for rent. So we could have a classroom there in a cheap building. Mm-hmm. So again, a couple of people really didn't want one person, I'm not going to name names, but said, I don't want to teach in Florida. It's hot and sweaty. I'm like, no, you don't have to go, you know, who said you're going to be the teacher? You mean? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't do it for myself, though. Uh, mm-hmm. So the, there was a free classroom right there. And even, even if we shut it down later, you thought maybe we could turn around and sell the building. Right. Um, so, so it sounds historically where the school has dealt with some egos and grudges. And yeah, egos. I mean, when we try to expand, there's always someone who doesn't like something about it. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, we, we could have, you know... A long time ago, the Canadian group was hoping we'd have a school up there. Mm-hmm. They'd come down and they would uh, take me out lunch. What do you think about school? And I get, I'm all for it. Uh, I think they're open. There's, there's a group up there that's opening back up. They're not fully associated. Yeah, but uh, look, this is not to interrupt you, but hey, 15, 20 years ago, we had some people really pushing for a school up there. Now, they're is a school of connective tissue work in Canada, and they, they three, four years ago, they flew Robert Schleip over to give a lecture for him. We had an annual meeting here because five years ago. He stopped up as Robert, how come you're not here longer? So I don't mean to. He said, Jim, I'm only here. The Rolf Institute wouldn't pay for my flight. He said, I'm only here because the Canadian. Connective Tissue Association flew me in for a lecture, and I said, "Is it okay if I stop in Denver on the way back?" And they said, "Sure." Mm-hmm. So he said, "I." They flew me to Mont, wherever it was, Calgary, and then he stopped in Boulder, gave us a lecture for free at our annual meeting, and then he flew home. And then I said, "He he felt like he's with Bonner's wife too much. His wonderful wife, and she does." Price work. So I went out to the East Coast. I said, Why don't you and I teach a class, or you could teach it in uh, Atlanta? 
I said, there's a big airport there. You could bring your wife over and she could do some some rocking movement. Some movement. Uh, He'd like me to wake his wife all the time. Uh, So I said, you know, we could do a split of three and a five instead of a three and a three. If only so we'd have five days on, Mm -hmm. two days off, five days on. Then you go back to Germany. Uh, if you want your wife to come over here, she can enjoy Atlanta. If not, then we'll come back a second time. Then it'll be. Did the class happen? No. Uh, I put it up to some uh, the faculty. Like, well, I don't know. I said, look, we need to pull Robert. With He's done all this research. Uh, he, I had invited him to the first low back pain conference. It was in Vienna. I said, you should come to this conference, man. I'll be there. He showed up, he saw all these people presenting papers, and he said, God, this is great, I can do a paper. He went along, did that thing, started presenting papers. And uh, he brought, actually brought his brother, his brother was a, a, a doctor, children's mm-hmm. um, doctor, a pediatrician, I think. I got to meet his brother for the first time. Robert said, she this is a place where I can get published. We were having, every time Robert wrote a an article for the Rolf Lines, there's one or two people who criticize them. Robert Schleip should have used this language. Uh, the Latin word for this is that. The Greek word for this is Latin. Robert goes, I know Greek and Latin, but I'm just writing English. I'm like, okay. <laughs> he's German for God's sake. And, you know, English is his third language, not his first. Yep. Here in Germany, you learn Italian, you learn, uh-huh. you know. <laughs> yeah. So, again, they were being tough on Robert. One guy was like, oh, I don't like the way he writes this article. Mm-hmm. Like, Who cares what you think? Keep it yourself, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, it's okay to be negative, but you don't be negative in public. Right. Uh, and now and now, Robert's one of the most um, honored... Uh, Recognized. Oh, Robert Robert's like, for yeah. being recognized for his research. And many people don't know he's a Rolfer. Yeah. 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 Nice. Because he doesn't say as much. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't. I don't want to leave it here, but I actually, I have, I have an, I have an appointment. I have to run to it. That's fine. Thirty. Um, Sorry, I didn't mean to go so. No, no, it's no, great. great. This is great. What I, what I would say, if possible, I'll be back. Um, that is, this is, I know, just the tip of the iceberg. I'll be back in Boulder in the summer for another Rolf movement intensive, and maybe we can have another sit down. Sure, I'm here most of summer. I'm teaching us a workshop on the East Coast. But I'm just here. I'm gone for a week. So something I'm teaching with Ellen. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's at this farm. It's this beautiful farm, and uh, it's an old barn downstairs. And so it's a big kitchen. They cook all the meals, and they're, they're a bunch of happy hippies. They meditate. They're a big meditation group. It's got a big, amazing breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You, you couldn't ask for better food. If you're allergic to something, they cook especially for you. For gin, no onions, or for a pill, or this or that. And then there's another huge room for a classroom, so people bring tables. And outside, there's some horses running around, and uh, mm-hmm. it's actually in the country. And then the people around the place are meditators, so they're not, they like to be models, but they don't have to be, you know. Mm-hmm. Upstairs, they have these, everybody has their own little bedroom. Mm-hmm. You know? So anyhow, I'm here except for that one time. Well, closer to the time, I'll, I'll, I'll reach back out to you. I've learned that email is not the way for you. So yeah. I, uh, call me. 
way I'm better. I don't oh, yeah. I cry with my email once a year, but I just I don't like computers to be honest. But you wanna get at home, but I got work, I wanna go on a walk or or a swim. I love to swim. Anyhow Well, thank you so much for taking time with this chat. It was such a I'm actually happy to talk about Ida. She was like I say, great person. Yeah. I didn't finish up Alan, as I told you, Alan wind up being a marrying a rolfer. See, Dick was a rolfer and a chiropractor, but he had four boys, but his wife put on a lot of weight. And so after a while, I don't know, they had difficulties, you know. And she was a bad person, and then they moved her. They moved to Switzerland. She, he promised her he'd move her to Switzerland, and I had die. I don't know, they did better over there. Mm-hmm. But then his other son just was like, no, Mom, I'm not helping you. Mom, I'm going to be an engineer like Dad. Mm-hmm. Alan wanted to be like Dad, who was an engineer, and like his grandpa, who was an engineer. Mm-hmm. Well, I couldn't argue with that. Okay, your dad's an engineer. Could have been like, I'm an engineer in the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> her mom was an engineer. You know, his dad was an engineer, mm-hmm. so she was happy that he was going to be an engineer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Alan married, he did marry, his second wife was a rover. Uh, he had a wife, and he had two kids, and one of that, that daughter became a cranial person. I did brought her out one day, and she introduced her name to Francine, she said, she's going to probably be a cranial sacral, or a cranial osteopath someday. Sure as heck, the girl went to Kirksville and became an osteopath, uh, and then I don't know what the other grandkids do. Mm-hmm. And then Alan remarried, married a girl named Josie Blue, Josie. Uh, Are any of the sons still alive? So that's the last of it. So her Joy had a kid with Alan, mm-hmm. and he when he married said, "I don't want kids." And I said, "Tell Alan anything. He's a pup. He's a he's a he's a pushover. He just likes to act tough." Mm-hmm. I said, "Once you're married, he believe it or not, he will in love with you, and he will lay down for you. You know." <laughs> Whatever you say goes. He just has these little crazy ideas. So, you know, they got married. He's like, whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. And a boy. And that kid is like I go. Mm-hmm. That's the end of the story. That kid has got his PhD. He flies to England, some famous school at Oxford. He's done research over there in physiology and sciences, you know. And then he flies back the East Coast and does research the East Coast. And because they both of them want him, uh, he's sort of a conduit for whatever he's researching. Mm-hmm. But he's got the eye to brain. Mm-hmm. Everybody has that. You know, sometimes you inherit a brain more than just a body. You know? yeah. And so he's got that brainy part that wants to do research like the grandma did. I've met him once or twice, he's a nice guy. Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoyed today's conversation. You can find out more about Jim at rolfingjimasher.wordpress.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave a positive review of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye.